Hey friends, M. Faring here. I'm so glad you're joining me as we journey through the pages of God's Word, looking for the big picture story, digging deep in study, and discovering how all of this applies to our lives. Most importantly, I hope you are able to see how Jesus is found throughout it all, plus learn more about God's character and love for us along the way. Let's open our Bibles together, one chapter at a time. Okay, friends, let's begin. Hello and welcome. I'm so glad we get to once again meet here and linger in the pages of God's Word together. Considering how we ended the last episode with a lot left to study, how about we get right to it, okay? Before we do, though, listen to this interesting tidbit I came across in my studies that I wanted to jump in to share as we begin. You may recall from OOBT episode 2 titled How I Study the Bible that I recommended the value in reading and or listening to the entire book we are studying at any given time. I recently learned that the book of Exodus could be finished in 2 hours and 51 minutes for the average reader. I don't know about you, but just under 3 hours feels a whole lot more dual number than I initially thought. We could even spread it out over two or three days, or more even. I absolutely promise doing this will greatly help our understanding of what we are reading in each of the individual chapters as we study together. Something to consider anyway, right? So, as I promised at the end of our last episode, first off, I'm going to backtrack to Exodus chapter 3 to take a close look at Moses' objections to God's calling him to return to Egypt. How about we start with this perspective from Right Now Media's God's Unbreakable Promises study. We don't often hear the beginnings of a great leader. We don't hear about their sin, their insecurities, and how they may have questioned their callings. If we did, it wouldn't likely give us a lot of confidence in them. We do, however, hear the beginning of Moses' story in Scripture. God called Moses a man orphaned and adopted, a man who took justice into his own hands, killed an Egyptian, and then hid the body, a man who acted like a hypocrite and then ran when he was called out, a man who stayed in hiding. This sounds like the beginnings of a great leader, doesn't it? And yet, God called Moses. The Bible tells us God called out of a burning bush, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cries because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. He continues, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses came up with every excuse in the book. He asked what he was supposed to say and do. He told God the people wouldn't believe him. He told God he wasn't good at speaking. But when Moses questioned his calling, God gave him many promises and help, including Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God told Moses he was sending him back to Egypt to free his people. God would be with him. Moses no longer got to hide. He was called to come out and to be concerned for the people as God is. This time, Moses would need to follow God's ways of concern and justice. God's concern is greater than one man. God's concern is for his people. His attentiveness to his people goes beyond one man's sin. Before God called Moses, we read, During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. Moses' doubt and questioning would not stop God from fulfilling His promises. 
to his people. Well, that last sentence is a perfect segue, as I want to have us now lean into more evidences of God keeping his promises made in Genesis to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. With that in mind, but before we get much further, let's listen into some study notes related to Exodus chapter 3. The first one, from the New Living Translation Illustrated Study Bible, for verses 16 through 17 says, Moses was to tell the people of Israel that the God who now spoke to them was the same God who spoke to their ancestors, and he would lead them into a fruitful land wrested from the hands of many others. Moses' message was not a magical formula, but the word of a God who, standing outside of history, can yet enter in and direct it. And in the New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible, verses 14 through 15 reads, God reminded Moses of his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in Genesis chapters 12, 26, and 28. And he used the name I Am to show this unchanging nature. What God promised to the great patriarchs hundreds of years earlier, he would fulfill through Moses. His wisdom spans the ages, and his promises give meaning and direction to our lives. Continuing on in First Five's How Do I Get Through This Study Guide, Week 1, Day 4 begins. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 16, God commanded Moses to identify him to the elders of Israel as the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God evidently believed this reference would mean something to his people. Let's look at the following Bible passages to be reminded of each patriarch. Abraham, in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, was given this promise from God, that he will make him into a great nation and that all the families on earth will be blessed through him. Isaac, in Genesis chapter 27, verses 3 and 4, God confirmed to give all these lands to him and to his descendants, just as he had promised his father Abraham. And then Jacob, in Genesis chapter 35, verses 9 through 12, God said, I will give you the land I once gave to Abraham and Isaac and to your descendants. In Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 16, God gave Abraham a glimpse of the future. He said Abraham's offspring would be strangers in a foreign land and oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but that God would punish the nation that has enslaved them, and they will come away with great wealth. We don't know whether Abraham shared this vision with younger generations, but it's plausible that the promise was passed down orally to each son along with God's covenant to provide innumerable descendants, fruitful land, and blessings through Abraham's line. The Israelites might have gained hope by recalling the divine promises to their ancestors, that the same God who now spoke to them was the God who spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the one that they knew and worshipped. They could find stability and security in our unchanging God. In Exodus chapter 3, verses 17-22, through 22, similar to Abraham's experience, Moses was informed by God of how the plan for deliverance would unfold. The prediction included both good news and bad news. It seems like God disclosed those details, particularly Pharaoh's rejection to Moses, for him to be prepared, for Moses to not be surprised or shaken in his mission when he hears Pharaoh's rejection, to be assured that the rejection was also a part of God's plan. God's foreknowledge of the events revealed many things, including that God knows the future, which means we can trust our futures to God because he already knows what is going to happen. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 18, Moses was instructed to tell Pharaoh that the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Again, the theme of God's presence with his people becomes evident. Moses was also instructed to make a surprising request, permission for the Israelites to take a three-day journey to offer sacrifices and worship. In his commentary on Exodus, John N. Oswald explains that worship was not merely a smokescreen to cover the real motive for the request, namely escape. In fact, it expresses a real reason for the Exodus— that Israel might worship the Lord rightly, 
Notice that Moses' request mentioned both God's involvement and the trip's purpose of worship. This should have been clear to Pharaoh that God was at the center of the plea, had he truly been listening. Not only did God intend to deliver the Israelites from slavery so they could worship freely, but he also wanted the Egyptians to know that I am the Lord, as found in Exodus chapter 7, verse 5. The Hebrew word for the Lord in Exodus chapter 7, verse 5 is the same name that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. As we learned in our study, Yahweh's name reminds us that He is central, central to all activities, missions, rituals, worship, and most importantly, deliverance. At the end of chapter 3, we read that the Israelites would escape Egypt but not leave empty-handed. God's pattern is to go above and beyond our expectations or hopes. And divine favor against the Egyptians would set up the Hebrew people to thrive in their new life of freedom and faith. When God calls, He also equips and provides. Let's move to this devotional titled, How to Handle an Assignment from God, from verse 5, How Do I Get Through This Study? Micah Maddox begins, I'm really good at talking myself out of the things God puts on my heart. Sometimes I can think I've heard Him give me direction, but then fear causes me to wait. The assignments given to Moses were strewn with mountainous instructions. The gift we see nestled in this message from God to Moses gathers a few important details that helps my heart realize that I can confidently move forward when God calls me to do something. Moses is told throughout Exodus chapter 3, Tell the Israelites who sent you. God's name will be remembered. Go and gather the elders of Israel. Here is what to say to them. God will deliver the Israelites. The Israelites will believe what Moses says, that there will be a struggle with the king of Egypt. God will do wonders to accomplish the mission. After God does wonders, then the king would let them go, and God would give the Israelites favor. This is a detailed list of instructions and revelations. I can't help but hope that if God gave me a list like that, I would follow through immediately. The pattern of reminding Moses who God is and what God does gives us a beautiful account of lessons we can replay when we seek God's direction and instruction for our next steps. God did not just give Moses these details so we could see his providential hand, although that is very evident. This passage offers clear instruction as we move forward into new assignments. Notice how the instructions to Moses and the lessons that we can learn to relate. You are sent by God for a purpose. It is for God's glory, not your own. It is for others to know who God is also. God will give you wisdom and words. God is a deliverer. God controls the fight. Move on when God says so. God knows there will be roadblocks and trials. God is the master of miracles. God already knows what will happen. God holds the power to give you favor. Let this list encourage your heart as you move forward. Big assignments from God and with God produce victory every single time. Did you catch that? Especially that emphasis on the words in that last sentence I just read? Big assignments from God and with God produce victory every single time. Don't you just love that? Especially the with God part. God with us. So beautiful to consider. Thank you, Father God. Did you also pick up on the fact in these moments with Moses and his calling by God that we are absolutely wrong to assume that by knowing what is to come, if God were to share that information when calling us, that it would be so much easier to obey or that we would be all in even is 100% wrong. Moses knew in detail, as seen in chapter 3, verses 15 through 22, and yet he still had objection upon objection regarding God's rescue plan. And in regard to me already pulling from the first fives, how do I get through this study? And truthfully, with even more to be taken from this one to come in today's episode, let me just point this out to us before we move on. 
This was a study I began working on in April of 2021, when God was still in the process of making it clear that I would be podcasting. Truthfully, God was still trying to convince me of His calling to podcast. The pages of my study guide for this one are covered in notes and thoughts and so on. It is almost like a journal of my journey with God to further confirm this call that He placed on my life. It has been so very tender for me to read through this as we are now in the book of Exodus studies on OOBT. Now 45 episodes into this podcast, God had so lovingly placed on my heart, clearly, back then. Amazing. Just amazing. So we will soon learn Moses indicates to God that he has a stutter or something that makes him not as good of an orator or speaker. But as we've already seen in the writing of Genesis, and even so far in Exodus, he definitely has a way with written words. And before we get to the end of these five books of the Torah, we will see him deliver some amazing faith-filled speeches as well. Another reminder that God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. Wow. Let's continue reading on in Exodus chapter 4 to hear the remainder of Moses' rejections to God's call on his life, as found in verses 1 through 17. And then we will pause to take a deeper dive together. Exodus chapter 4 from the New Living Translation begins, Signs of the Lord's Power. But Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, Reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, then they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, Then take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, O Lord, I am not very good with words. I have never been, and I am not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother, Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him, and I will put the words in his mouth. I will be with both of you as you speak, and I will instruct you both in what to do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece, and you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say, and take your shepherd's staff with you and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. Okay, let's remember as we start Exodus chapter 4 that we are still at the burning bush. When we finished up Exodus 3, we heard Moses give two really bad objections to God's declaration of being I am. His first question in Exodus chapter 3 verse 11 had been, Who am I? And his second question in verse 13 was, in essence, Who are you? We heard God give his word that the Israelites would believe Moses' message. But now in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, 
we see Moses focus his doubts on what he believes will be the reaction of the Israelites. Rejection and fear that they will say that God did not appear to him. Can I just interject here because I am hoping this brings to mind the scene from earlier in Exodus, when Moses was living in Egypt and was trying to separate two Hebrews from fighting with one another. Do you remember their response to him? Back in Exodus chapter 2, verse 14, they said, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Ouch! Don't you think even all these years later it is entirely possible that he is hearing those words they said echoing over and over again in his mind? Whether or not that is true, we do know one thing for certain from the first verse of chapter 4. Moses is now anticipating the rejection of his own people as he very reluctantly prepares to go to them to share the words of God. And if we're being honest, based on what we know of Moses' history in Egypt and his life experiences up to this point, he has some valid reasons to question the success of his calling. But, as we will see, the outcomes of God's mission never have been dependent on his qualifications or efforts. The same is true for us in our mission or callings from God as well, but more on that in a bit. So what I find so touching about this moment is that we see that God does not rebuke Moses because of his doubt, but instead gave him three signs that not only served as an answer to Moses' doubt, but they also reassured him of who God is. Week 1, Day 5, in verse 5's How Do I Get Through the Study Guide, has this to say about these signs or miracles. Out of patience and graciousness, God gave Moses three signs to perform before the Israelites to prove that he was Yahweh's chosen leader. Miracle number one, as we read in Exodus chapter 4, verses 2 through 5, was when he turned Moses' staff into a snake and then back into a staff. Ancient Egyptians considered both a staff and a snake to represent power for priests, magicians, or pharaohs. A pharaoh's headdress even featured a cobra to symbolize royalty and divine authority. Through the first miracle, God was perhaps demonstrating his sovereignty in Egyptian territory, using their very symbols of power. Miracle number two, as found in Exodus chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He made Moses' hand leprous and then healed it. Skin ailments were common in ancient Egypt and thought to be punishment from the various gods and goddesses. By inflicting a disease and then curing it, God demonstrated authority over sickness. Peter N. said in his commentary, It may also prefigure Israel's experience. God will take an unclean nation and make it clean. Miracle number three, from Exodus chapter four, verses eight and nine, in which God told Moses to turn the water from the Nile into blood. According to Egyptian creation accounts, the Nile River was the original source of life. By changing the water into blood, God was proving dominion over what Egypt saw as a nation's life giver and sustaining force, as well as over all of nature and its elements. These three signs were probably as much for Moses' assurance as for the Israelites. It was also an exercise in obedient faith. In the process of demonstrating his power and control, God urged Moses to act in faith by grabbing the snake by the tail, a risky move that would certainly be foolish outside the Lord's command. God can accomplish incredible work through every one of us, but he requires our cooperation and trust. And about that staff, the New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible says, A shepherd's staff was commonly a three- to six-foot wooden rod with a curved hook at its tip. The shepherd used it for walking, guiding his sheep, killing snakes, and many other tasks. Still, it was just a stick. But God used a simple shepherd's staff Moses carried as a sign to teach him an important lesson. God sometimes takes joy in using ordinary things for extraordinary purposes. What are the ordinary things in your life? Your voice? A pen? A hammer? A broom? A musical instrument? While it is easy to assume God can use only special skills, you must not hinder his use of the everyday contributions you can make. Little did Moses imagine the power his simple staff would wield 
when it becomes the staff of God. As we continue our journey through Exodus, we'll find a staff carried by Moses and sometimes Aaron will be used in these and many other ways. Carried by Moses while making requests of Pharaoh, turned into a snake before Pharaoh, raised high to initiate several of the plagues, raised over the Red Sea to part the waters, and even used to strike the rock to provide water. God uses an ordinary walking stick to confirm Moses' message and his role as messenger. Oh, friends, we can trust that God will use simple personal examples in our lives to help us know and believe Him too. When we ask for reassurance or confirmation, we might find it in the most unexpected, ordinary places. Gosh, I just love the many ways God reassures our doubting hearts. Amazing. Just amazing to consider the incredible ways an ordinary shepherd's staff will be used when it becomes the staff of God. Be sure to stay tuned for more on all that to come in future episodes, my OOBTers. Also, before we move on from the miracle with the shepherd's staff, I want to take a quick moment to share this perspective from Jen Wilkins' God of Deliverance study in regards to Moses and the leprous hand turned white as snow when repeatedly put in and taken out of his cloak. Jen shares several thoughts regarding the setup here of Moses' hand as contrasted to God's hand. Number one, Moses already has all he needs to do as God has asked in his hands or on his body in the form of his staff and cloak. And number two, God is reminding Moses that it is his hand that will accomplish the work to come through Moses. In essence, it seems the attitude Moses should come to God with is this, Lord, this is in your hands. Such a powerful reminder. Oh my. Okay, so friends, as I mentioned before in this episode, and quite a few others actually, this conversation between God and Moses in Exodus 4 verses 10 through 12 were the literal mic drop moment in the creation of this podcast. And yep, the mic pun was definitely intended there. (laughs) Let me share these words that are now forever etched in my mind as a confirmation that God has called me to serve as a Bible study podcast host for the glory of God and the good of others. Verse 10 begins. But Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh God, I'm not very good with words. I've never been, and I'm not now, even though you have spoken to me. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Wow, pretty hard to argue with God's response to Moses' hesitation, am I right? So if you want to hear even more about all that, be sure to take a listen in to Episode 1, Why a Bible Study Podcast, and also episode 31, called To Go. I know I've said it quite a few times before, but please, please, please go listen to these episodes to hear these reasonings behind the creation of the Open Our Bibles Together podcast, along with some additional insight into Moses and his calling by God at that burning bush. Okay, enough of my perspective on these verses. How about we take a listen into these from First Five's How Do I Get Through This Study? Let's begin with these words, but what am I supposed to do now? Exodus chapter 4 verse 10 begins with a word that sets the tone for the next several verses. But God had called Moses, answered his questions, and given him the words to speak to Israel. God explained his plan and foretold what would happen, even gave Moses miraculous signs to perform. Yet Moses still resisted God's call. Despite God revealing himself as I am, Moses focused on who he was. Twice in verse 10 Moses says, I am not eloquent, I am slow of speech and of tongue. With his eyes fixed on his limitations, Moses went so far as to blatantly ask God to send someone else. Like Moses, our insecurities can cause us to retreat from God's plans instead of advancing in faith. 
let's look at two reasons that can lead us to this wrong perspective. First, we elevate our role in God's plan. Some scholars believe Moses may have elevated his role in God's process because he assumed he was to be Israel's deliverer. Yet God never asked Moses to deliver Israel. God would be the deliverer. Moses was only the messenger. When we elevate ourselves to be a central role in God's process, we will look inward to our own ability and always come up short. Secondly, we forget God is not only with us, He is in us. God promised Moses time and again that He would be with him and give him the words to say. Because of Jesus, we not only have the promise that God is with us, but we also have the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence living in us and working through us. As Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. When you are faced with a mission and you feel underqualified and ill-equipped to handle, remember it's not about who I am or you are. It's always about I am, or rather, who God is. Scripture shows us countless examples of God's calling someone and then equipping them with everything they need to accomplish the call. Whether God's plans include leading a nation out of slavery, raising a child, starting a new job, or loving your neighbor, your ability to do what God calls you to do will be found in who He is, not in who you are. Because of that, we can have hope and boldness to follow God wherever He leads. Moving on in First Five's Exodus study to a devotional titled, We Don't Have to Doubt Him, it reads, Insecurities. We all have them. These qualities about ourselves that make us lack confidence or assurance can be a positive call to action to make healthy changes in our lives. But insecurities can also hold us back from stepping into the assignments God calls us to. That's exactly what happened to Moses. Moses knew with absolute certainty what God was calling him to do. God had confirmed it by speaking to him audibly through a burning bush, telling him to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. And Moses knew exactly what to say, what God planned to do, that God would be with him, and that God would provide for them with plunder from the Egyptians. So what could possibly hold him back when the things seemed so very clear? It was the same thing that might be holding you and me back at times. Moses doubted God had created him for the calling God gave him. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, Moses says to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord comes back with very strong words to Moses. Who gave human beings their mouths? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Verses 11 and 12. When we doubt we have what it takes for us to do what God calls us to do, we are doubting His creation abilities. He knew from the beginning of time what He would call you to do and therefore how you would need to be formed. God does everything with purpose and precision. The exact way He made you is in keeping with how He will use you. Trust this. Embrace this. Even if you don't know all the details of your calling quite yet, thank God for making you perfectly equipped for your assignments ahead. And when insecurity starts to make you doubt, flip it around and say, God, I may doubt myself, but I will not doubt you. So I will let your perfection override my feelings of imperfection and do what you instruct me to do. Continuing on in Exodus chapter 4, verse 18, Moses returns to Egypt, reads, So Moses went back home to Jethro, his father-in-law. Please let me return to my relatives in Egypt, Moses said. I don't even know if they are still alive. Go in peace, Jethro replied. Before Moses left Midian, the Lord said to him, Return to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you have died. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and headed back to the land of Egypt. In his hand he carried the staff of God. 
And the Lord told Moses, When you arrive back in Egypt, go to Pharaoh and perform all the miracles I have empowered you to do. But I will harden his heart so he will refuse to let the people go. Then you will tell him, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I commanded you, let my son go so he can worship me. But since you have refused, I will now kill your firstborn son. On the way to Egypt, at a place where Moses and his family had stopped for the night, the Lord confronted him and was about to kill him. But Moses' wife Sephora took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet with a foreskin and said, Now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. When she said a bridegroom of blood, she was referring to the circumcision. After that, the Lord left him alone. Now the Lord had said to Aaron, Go out into the wilderness and meet Moses. So Aaron went and met Moses at the mountain of God, and he embraced him. Moses then told Aaron everything the Lord had commanded him to say, and he told him about the miraculous signs the Lord had commanded him to perform. Then Moses and Aaron returned to Egypt and called all the elders of Israel together. Aaron told them everything the Lord had told Moses, and Moses performed the miraculous signs as they watched. Then the people of Israel were convinced that the Lord had sent Moses and Aaron. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Verses 21 through 23 in this section summarize these events and we will see unfold in the next several chapters, beginning with a request to let the people go so they could worship God, as found in Exodus chapter 5, verse 3, and concluding with the final plague, the death of the firstborn, from chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. God seems to be preparing Moses for the difficult task ahead of him by once again reassuring him of what is to come. And then, well, 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 my OOB tears, what in the world? Are you all just like me, wondering what exactly we are supposed to do with that very weird turn of events with Sephora, a flint knife, and circumcision? I am thinking I'm just going to let the notes from a couple of my study Bibles do the speculating here. The New Living Translation Illustrated Study Bible begins, This incident is shrouded in mystery. That Sephora responded immediately and circumcised her son suggests that she and Moses had discussed the possibility of doing so previously and decided it was not necessary. Why would having an uncircumcised son lead to God's intent to kill the rescuer? He had certainly carefully prepared and called. Perhaps if Moses had arrived in Egypt claiming to represent the God of the Israelites' ancestors and had not yet done the one thing God had commanded to his followers to this point, in Genesis chapter 17, verse 10, then the people would have been less inclined to follow God in a radically exclusive way. And then, in the New Living Translation Life Application Bible, it says, God was about to kill Moses because Moses had not circumcised his son. Why hadn't Moses done this? Remember that Moses had spent half of his life in Pharaoh's palace and half his life in the Midianite wilderness. He might not have been too familiar with God's laws, especially since all the requirements of God's covenant with Israel in Genesis chapter 17 had not been actively carried out for over 400 years. In addition, Moses' wife, due to her Midianite background, may have opposed circumcision. But Moses could not effectively serve as deliverer of God's people until he fulfilled the conditions of God's covenant, and one of those conditions was circumcision. Before they could go any further, Moses and his family had to follow God's commands completely. Under Old Testament law, failing to circumcise your son was to remove yourself and your family from God's blessings. Moses learned that disobeying God was even more dangerous than tangling with an Egyptian pharaoh. Okay. How about we just move on from all that weirdness and switch gears here to lean into what Jen Wilkin describes in the God of Deliverance study as a beautiful scene we do not want to leave at the end of chapter 4. Moses and Aaron go to the elders of Israel and proclaim the mighty works that God was going to do, and then they perform the signs and wonders that God had told them to do in just the way that he had told them to do them. It's a scene that was both beautiful for the perfect obedience of Moses and Aaron 
and for the perfect response of the children of God. They bowed down and worshipped. If only things could stay this way, but we will soon see in chapter 5 that when things get difficult, they, and oftentimes we, are tested in our resolve. We begin questioning, is God really who he says he is? God, can you tell me a bit more because this does not feel the way I thought it would? And on and on and on with the questions, am I right? Oh, friends, God has been faithful to set an expectation all along. This is what you will do. This is how it will go. And yet still, when the things go exactly the way God has said they will, there is surprise and dismay and shock from the Israelites. Well, how about we just read Exodus chapter 5 from the New Living Translation and then continue this conversation about what is to come for Moses, Aaron, and the Israelites. Exodus 5. Moses and Aaron speak to Pharaoh. After the presentation to Israel's leaders, Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go, so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so? retorted Pharaoh. And who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with a sword. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land, and you are stopping them from their work. That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and the Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves. But still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. So the slave drivers and the foreman went out and told the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will not provide any more straw for you. Go and get it yourselves. Find it wherever you can, but you must produce just as many bricks as before. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble to use as straw. Meanwhile, the Egyptian slave drivers continued to push hard. Meet your daily quota of bricks just as you did when we provided you with straw, they demanded. Then they whipped the Israelite foremen that they had put in charge of the work crews. Why haven't you met your quotas either yesterday or today, they demanded. So the Israelite foremen went to Pharaoh and pleaded with him. Please don't treat your servants like this, they begged. We are given no straw, but the slave drivers still demand make bricks. We are beaten, but it isn't our fault. Your own people are to blame. But Pharaoh shouted, You're just lazy! Lazy! That's why you're saying let us go and offer sacrifices to the Lord? Now, get back to work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still produce the full quota of bricks. The Israelite foreman could see that they were in serious trouble when they were told, You must not reduce the number of bricks you make each day. As they left Pharaoh's court, they confronted Moses and Aaron who were waiting outside for them. The foreman said to them, May the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands, an excuse to kill us. Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your own people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he has been even more brutal to your people, and you have done nothing to rescue them. Yikes, can you even imagine, my friends? Pharaoh not only rejected Moses' request to release the Hebrew slaves, but he also retaliated by making their work harder. Yes, you heard that right. Harder. Basically, we see the arrival of the rescuer actually makes the situation worse. Have you ever had that experience, my OB tears? Have you ever done the right thing or the thing you were confident God asked you to do, only to have it seem to make a situation worse? 
Verse 5's How Do I Get Through This Study has this to say about what we see happening here in a devotional titled, Where We See Opposition, God Sees Opportunity. In today's reading, we join Moses and Aaron at a particular moment in time. It's that key moment when they stood before Pharaoh to declare, Let my people go. Exodus chapter 5, verse 1. Pharaoh, of course, wouldn't hear of it. Instead, he increased the Israelites' burden by removing the straw necessary for their brickmaking, while demanding they still met the same daily quota. For the Israelites, their lives as slaves had just gone from bad to worse, and it was all Moses' fault. But Moses hadn't done anything wrong. He was simply being obedient to what God had called him to do. Therein lies a core biblical truth. Obedience is sometimes followed by opposition. That is certainly the case between Moses and Pharaoh. Moses' obedience was followed by Pharaoh's opposition. If we get stuck in moments like this one, discouragement can quickly seep in. But today's story reminds us that there is always a bigger picture at work that we can't necessarily see with our physical eyes. There's a spiritual battle taking place. We know this because, in the story of Moses, we have the advantage of hindsight. We know the Israelites will soon be standing at the water's edge as the Red Sea miraculously parts so they can walk to freedom on dry land. When the Israelites saw only opposition, God was setting the stage for a major opportunity, an opportunity to display His magnificent power while setting His people free. But the miracles that we know are coming haven't happened yet. In the middle of Exodus chapter 5, verses 1-14, through 14, things are just plain hard. Moses was faced with an unsuccessful bid with Pharaoh, and it cost his people greatly. And that's all the Israelites can see in this moment. Perhaps that's where you are today. Perhaps there is an area in your life where you have honestly sought God's will and done your very best to be obedient to that which He has put before you. But things still didn't turn out the way you had hoped and prayed they might. And it's left you understandably discouraged. My friend, if that's you right now, take comfort from today's passage knowing that even someone like Moses faced moments where things didn't work out at first. But that terrible moment in time didn't last forever. Another chapter in the story was coming. While Moses' obedience led to Pharaoh's opposition, it set the stage for a beautiful opportunity. And the same can be true for us. If your obedience leads to opposition, trust that God is setting the stage for an opportunity. And in First Fives, How Do I Get Through This Study devotional titled, This Is Just Too Hard, it begins with a reading from the ESV, of Exodus chapter 5, verse 15. Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, It's just too hard. Just about anything can cause us to utter these words. Job loss, relationship strain, death, depression, anxiety, or just life itself. In today's passage, the Israelites expressed the same sentiment. In fact, their reality was more than hard. It was impossible. Moses had gone to Pharaoh, asking him to let God's people go. Pharaoh didn't just refuse a request, he retaliated. He forced the people to work harder to meet impossible requirements. What is our initial response when things get too hard? We complain. And that's what the foreman did. First, they accused Pharaoh of being harsh. Then when Pharaoh didn't change his mind, they criticized Moses. I think if we were making those bricks, we would agree with them. Moses promised to save them, but he had only made their lot worse. How many times have we been going through life when circumstances turn sour? Our hearts want things to be fair. We wonder why, and we tell God, this is just too hard. The enemy likes to creep in during this time and fill our minds with doubt. If you are tempted, like me, to go tell God that this is just too hard, let me offer some hope from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 1-5 through 5 is a powerful passage, but I love these verses. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. 
Suffering does not mean that we are out of God's will, nor does it mean God has left us. We have hope because our unique suffering is in God's hands. When life feels too hard, it could be because we are focusing more on the crisis than on Christ. Looking to God's word during times of great suffering will help us realize God's plan is still going forward, as we will see in our study through Exodus, even in the midst of suffering. Looking to God means we don't try to figure out the why. Instead, we learn to trust God in the unknowns. And more moments about Exodus chapter 5, verses 15 through 21 from First Fives How Do I Get Through This Study says, Is anything too hard for God? I think we would all agree the answer is no. Nothing is too hard for God. The Bible is filled with stories and songs which tell us nothing is impossible with God. But let's be honest. Many times we have come upon a situation and it does seem impossible. In today's verses, the people of Israel had no proof that God would rescue them. In fact, the first time God, through Moses, confronted the enemy, their lives were made worse. What kind of rescue plan would include suffering? How was God going to get them out of this? We know the end of their story, but we don't know the end of our story. Or do we? Even here in the Old Testament, we see glimpses of Christ. Fast forward thousands of years and the Messiah is hanging on a cross. Christ is our example. He didn't suffer in vain. Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was to come, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And so it is with us. Our joy, our hope, our rescue won't be fully recognized until heaven. Let us continue in faith like the heroes in Hebrews chapter 11, looking ahead to the promise of all that is waiting for us. Then, First Five's Exodus study devotional titled, The Heat is On, about Exodus chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 begins. If I just follow God's plan, everything should go smoothly, right? I wonder if that's what Moses was thinking as he made the long trek from Horeb to Egypt with his brother Aaron. God had already appeared to Moses and given him a specific plan, along with the promise that he would deliver the people of Israel from Egypt and give them the promised land of Canaan. And when Moses told the elders of Israel all about God's plan, they immediately believed and worshiped God. Surely this was a confirmation to Moses that he was headed in the right direction and on track with God's plan. But when Moses stood before Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, he received a completely different response. Instead of acceptance, Moses faced opposition as Pharaoh denied God's existence and refused to release the Israelites. Instead of things going smoothly, the situation got worse as Pharaoh punished the Israelites and made them work harder. Instead of experiencing faith, doubt took center stage in Moses' heart and made him question God's love and promises of deliverance. Just like Moses, we too may encounter a crisis of faith if our journey comes to an abrupt halt when we face into resistance or conflict rather than acceptance. Sometimes we can doubt God's promises, motives, and yes, even His love for us. Facing opposition is hard, and when situations get worse instead of better, we may wonder if we misunderstood God's assignment or whether He's really on our side. Our faith can start to dwindle as doubt and discouragement pushes its way into the center stage of our hearts and minds. Like Moses, let's be sure to go straight to God with our questions and concerns. When things don't turn out as we planned, let's seek God for answers that will bring clarity and instruction to our troubling situation. God doesn't mind your tough questions. He would much rather have an authentic relationship with you instead of one that is held together from a distance. God is eager to help you work through any doubts and hurt feelings when you go to Him. God can certainly handle any concerns, no matter how big or small. In fact, as we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, He wants you to bring your concerns to Him because He cares for you. And finally, First Fives How Do I Get Through This Study devotional titled, The Cure for Complaining, begins, My frustration over seemingly unanswered prayers on a friend's behalf erupted into complaints directed at God. Why aren't you answering my prayers to destroy strongholds in her life? 
Please do something before she self-destructs. I empathize with Moses' frustration and complaint to God about the Israelites' desperate state. Why wasn't God doing something to help? And why on earth did he send him as a leader anyway? His inability to understand God's ways caused Moses to focus on all the problems rather than on the problem solver. As we will soon see in Exodus chapter 6, God responded in a gracious manner. First, he reassured Moses that he was in control of the rescue operation from timing to tactics. The action was about to begin, not a moment too soon or too late. He would display his power for all to see, and he would claim victory over Pharaoh. Next, God revealed himself to Moses using the name Yahweh. This identified him as the great I Am, the supreme self-existent one who brought into being everything that is. He'd revealed himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty, to the patriarchs in Genesis past, as we saw in Genesis chapter 17, 28, and 48. They knew him as the God who makes promises, but Moses would experience him as a God who fulfills promises. Finally, God reminded Moses of the promises he intended to fulfill. The verbs he used as he listed them are recorded in the Hebrew past tense rather than future tense, indicating that they were a done deal in his eyes. He began and ended his message with the declaration, I am the Lord. Because of who God is, Moses and the Israelites could know with certainty that he would keep his promises. No one, including Pharaoh and his mighty army, could thwart his plans. Sadly, the Israelites refused to listen when Moses relayed God's words to them. Despair outweighed faith in God's power. Doubt outweighed trust in Moses' leadership. Despondency gripped Moses, and he complained again. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. Exodus chapter 6, verse 12. How easily we complain when God seems unresponsive, or we can't understand what he's doing. Like Moses, we focus on the problem, or on our inadequacies, and we lose heart. Remembering the truth about who God is restores our hope. He is the great I am. He is in control of every detail of our lives, and he keeps every promise he makes. There is no room for doubt when I am says, I will. Oh gosh, friends, here we are once again running out of time. So how about we read Exodus chapter 5, Promises of Deliverance, shall we? Then the Lord told Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. When he feels the force of my strong hand, he will let the people go. In fact, he will force them to leave his land. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name Yahweh to them, and I reaffirmed my covenant with them. Under its terms, I promised to give them the land of Canaan, where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I have heard the groans of my people of Israel, who are now slaves to the Egyptians, and I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from the oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into a land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. So Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, and they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and tell him to let the people of Israel leave his country. But Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. Okay, 
Let me pause for a moment here at verses 14 through 25, as Moses is seeming an eruption of the storyline to share of his ancestors. This has an important purpose that we should not gloss over and ignore. Yes, even if we don't take time in today's episode for me to read each one aloud, and truthfully, for me to butcher the pronunciation of 99.9% of the names listed. Oh, goodness. This pause in the story places Moses and Aaron among the families of Israel. It served as proof that they did not appear suddenly out of the unknown, but were an integral part of the same people that God first revealed himself to in Genesis. He is the God of their ancestors, and the placement of this genealogy comes to the turning point of God's story of rescue and deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. It is important to link Moses and Aaron to the lineage of Jacob Israel and his sons, especially the lineage of Levi, to give them validity and authority as part of this lineage. The same is true of the purpose behind the listings of Jesus' genealogies in the New Testament. You remember those from our Advent episodes, right? Anyway, what we are seeing happen here is the unmistakable link of these two brothers with both the genealogy of Jacob Israel and the Exodus as well. And it is also important to note here that we will see some of the names listed in this genealogy in later Old Testament passages. Picking up at the end of verse 25, it reads, These are the ancestors of the Levite families, listed according to their clans. The Aaron and Moses named in this list are the same ones to whom the Lord said, Lead the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. It was Moses and Aaron who spoke to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, about leading the people of Israel out of Egypt. Verse 5 is, How do I get through this devotional titled, He Knows Your Name, has this to say here. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 12, we found a hesitant Moses trying yet again to talk God out of putting him in charge of speaking to Pharaoh and leading the Israelites out of slavery. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 13, God reaffirms that same call on the lives of Aaron and Moses. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Then in Exodus chapter 6, verses 14-25, through 25, Moses pauses the story and starts taking down names. I would say, just like the grade school version of me, but Moses isn't in a simple classroom setting. He is helping set an entire nation free. And while some of those names possibly do belong to the very people giving Moses a bit of grief, as found in Exodus chapter 5, verse 21, and while many of them were people long past and not presently in bondage, this list ultimately represents entire families God wanted to deliver from their troubles. Why place these names here, though, right in the middle of the action? Not only do genealogies help us establish a time and place of historical events, but they also help establish authority, revealing family lines and connections that can affirm the person or question his or her credentials. This particular list only spans four generations and doesn't cover all 12 tribes, but it can still be used to bring legitimacy to the fact that these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord spoke. This genealogy may have also proven useful as it detailed Aaron's descendants who would one day take their place as the chosen priesthood. While this list of names is certainly practical, I also find it incredibly tender and personal. I love knowing that our God is a generational God. He is a God who sees and knows the individuals within families. He is a God who knows names, names that are attached to real people who live real lives and feel real pain and need real rescue. And the God who knew the name of every soul crying out for rescue in Egypt, the same God who numbers and names the stars, knows your name. He knows the name of every member of your family, too, the ones who have surrendered their lives to Him and the ones who still need rescue. What comfort, what grace, what hope to know we are serving a life-saving, name-taking God. And finally, Exodus chapter 6 ends with verse 28. When the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, He said to him, 
I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, everything I am telling you. But Moses argued with the Lord, saying, I can't do it. I'm such a clumsy speaker. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? Oh, Moses. Notice we end at pretty much the same place we began in today's episode. In verse 30, But Moses argued with the Lord, saying, I can't do it. I'm such a clumsy speaker. Why should Pharaoh listen to me? Honestly, though, how many times have we been in the same way with God when it comes to our callings in life? I know I am guilty of questioning all along. Doubt, imposter syndrome, hardships, roadblocks, well, you know, all the things that can and often do come against us, sometimes over and over again. Goodness. However, can I share something with you that speaks tenderly to my heart when reading how God handles Moses and all of his questioning? It's this. I see our God including these many, many interactions between the two of them in Scripture. Yes, he does get angered at some point, and yet he leans in more. He never leaves, and he continues to remind Moses of who he, God, is, and also reminds Moses of who Moses is in this calling as well. The New Living Translation Life Application Study Bible note for chapter 4 verse 1 addresses what I'm trying to convey here when it says, Moses' reluctance and fear were caused by over-anticipation or overthinking. He was worried about how the people might respond to him. We often build up events in our minds and then panic over what might go wrong. God does not ask us to go where he has not provided the means to help. Go where he leads, trusting him to supply courage, confidence, and resources at the right moment. Moving on, in First Five's Exodus study, in a devotional title, But I Can't Do This, God, it begins, I relate so much to Moses. I too am hesitant to step up to an assignment where I doubt my effectiveness. Moses already felt like he was failing at the smaller assignment of getting the Israelites to listen to him. So he was understandably hesitant to go and speak to the intimidating, powerful leader, Pharaoh. However, we must take note of a crucial fact in God's instruction to Moses. He simply told Moses to go tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Exodus chapter 6, verse 11. That's all Moses was responsible to accomplish. He wasn't responsible for anything but the delivery of the message. The resistant way Moses responds lets me know he misunderstood his assignment. Moses thought he was to bring enough power in his words to convince Pharaoh. And since his words lacked power before, it's no wonder he thought this was a terrible strategy. But God never told Moses to bring the power. Moses was simply told to bring the words. Moses' job was to be obedient to God. God's job was everything else. God would bring the power. God would bring the strategy. God would bring all the plans together. And God would certainly bring the victory. God already assured Moses of this in Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. He wasn't asking Moses to play every part. Moses was only supposed to play his part. And the same is true for you and me. What assignment has God put before you today? Feel encouraged that your job is simply to be obedient to God. God will handle everything else. Okay, friends, we absolutely must find a way to wrap this one up to end our study time together today. Here are a few reflections that seem valuable in helping us to do just that from First Fives' How Do I Get Through This Study. We are only a few chapters into Exodus, and the passages have already been rich with reminders of God's promises and provision. True to His covenant, God made a way to preserve and protect the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through raising up a deliverer. He also faithfully equipped Moses for the mission with His presence, people to help, and power to prove His authority. With so many dramatic events and details, we don't want to miss a crucial part of God's promises to Moses that's recorded in Exodus chapter 3, verse 17. God wanted to rescue His people out of slavery so He could bring them into a land of hope and blessing, 
a fertile land flowing with milk and honey. God has such a place awaiting us, too, a new heaven and a new earth where all things will be made new, and we will live in perfect and unhindered relationship with God. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1-5 through We may not always feel capable to follow God's calling. Sometimes God will call us to do things we feel ill-equipped for. Sometimes our circumstances may tempt us to give up or doubt His promises. But God's calling is not about us and our ability. It's about Him. And God's faithfulness to Moses and Israel shows us His promises are not compromised by resistance, and His calling is not canceled because of our circumstances. Did you catch that? Isn't that so very important for all of us to hear on repeat? How about I say that last line one more time, just to be sure we all hear the truth found in these words loud and clear. As God's faithfulness to Moses and Israel shows us, His promises are not compromised by resistance, and His calling is not canceled because of our circumstances. Promise Keeper I don't know about all of you, but I sure am coming to absolutely adore this truth about our God's character, our Promise Keeper, always. I know I have said this often in our study times together, but it is crucial for us to understand, truthfully, to settle deep in our hearts as we are in our faith journey with God. So good. Let's join together in prayer, my OB tears. Father God, your plans and your purposes far exceed anything we could think of ourselves. Thank you for preserving both your people and the writings of Moses so we can trace your gracious and saving hand throughout history. Lord, turn any unbelief in our hearts to confidence in you. Remind us of how you have faithfully delivered us and provided for us in the past. Let us not take for granted the gift and privilege of your constant presence. We are amazed at how the circumstances of your people so many years ago feel so familiar to us today. Thank you for reminding us that earthly challenge doesn't change your eternal perfect plan. When we're faced with circumstances that make us give up, help us trust your timing and press on with our eyes fixed on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, before we end our time together, I want to just take a moment to share this truth with all of you. Your support and encouragement of me in this podcast truly keeps me going, especially on those hard days, you know the ones, when we doubt and question. I don't know about you, but I sure do understand a whole lot of what Moses was saying to God as we study today. Oh my. With that said, we're in this together, and I'm so happy to join alongside each one of you through God's Word, one chapter, one page at a time. Whether it's in your car, on your lunch break, while folding laundry, or on a walk, let's keep diving in, shall we? And if this happens to be your first listen of the OOBT podcast, welcome. We're also glad you're here. As I often ask, well, maybe some would say nag about at the end of each episode. (laughs) If you haven't done so already, please be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. I really do thank you in advance for helping others find us, my OOBTers. This is M. Faring, and I can't wait until we open our Bibles together next time, my friends.